This is the Early Childhood Research Podcast, and you're listening to Episode 9. Welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast, where we tell you how the latest research can help in your home and in your classroom. Welcome, it's great to have you here. I'm Liz, and I'm the host of the Early Childhood Research Podcast. This is Episode 9, and today I'm talking about environmental protection with kids ways it can be taught and facilitated, examples of how it's being done in early childcare centres around the world and common pitfalls to be aware of. You can find the written transcript of this interview, research credits plus free downloadable bookmarks at lizesearlylearningspot.com. Just click on the podcast tab and look for episode 9. We teach our little ones to be kind to animals and to not throw rubbish, but can children really help save our world? I'm talking here about our ability to create a long and sustainable future for both the planet and ourselves. Now, since this podcast is focused on early learners, it will be no surprise that I'm all for encouraging children to think and feel and discover for themselves and to encourage a sense of pride and ownership in thinking critically about issues and possible solutions. The majority of the information in this episode comes from a book of research papers called Research in Early Childhood Education for Sustainability, International Perspectives and Provocations. Of course, this book is hundreds of pages long and has tons of fantastic information, but today's episode pulls out some of the ideas that I felt were important and helpful. According to UNESCO, we have structured our world on four interdependent pillars and a weakness in one will unbalance the rest. These four pillars are the economy, nature, society and politics. So for sustainable living, we can't only focus on planting trees, for example. We have to pay for the trees. We have to get permission to plant them and make sure the neighbours approve of them. Many would say that this makes it too complicated for young children to be involved and to make any genuine, authentic contribution. But research shows that that's not true. And it's up to us to give our children the tools and avenues to jump right in. If we want to open our children's eyes to the world of sustainability and environmental protection, the first thing we need to think about is how to effectively teach effective teaching and learning. And there are three suggestions here. The first one is storytelling. The second is using project-based learning. And the third is utilising the arts. Storytelling for young children is very effective using both books and oral storytelling, just telling them stories. It helps develop empathy for the characters involved It helps children to see from another perspective, for example, how the plants might feel or how the river might feel. It encourages kids to think about the consequences of certain actions. It helps them to see how issues are woven together, for example, how environmental and economic issues are intertwined. It encourages kids to discuss the issues in the story and to consider possible solutions. Project-based learning, engaging children in a longer-term learning cycle where children learn about an issue, 
raise questions, search for answers and create solutions. It's learning through inquiry. These need to be real issues that are relevant to them, not just pretend issues. They should mostly have a local focus. Teachers may need to break down barriers that might be stopping kids from contributing. For example, being a bridge to a politician or championing them to parents as capable rather than dependent or dealing with the mounds of paperwork required to take a group of young children on a field trip. Thirdly, utilising the arts, giving children multiple ways of expressing their learning, their feelings, and to articulate some of their solutions. Some of the projects noted in this book included the use of collage to show an environmental problem, writing songs about an issue, writing and illustrating books about an issue, writing and illustrating pamphlets to show facts they've learned and concerns they've noted, creating recycling posters for local businesses, drawing maps of their area, making bird nests and possum nests, making a dinosaur playground using local volcanic rock. There are some great project ideas that are in this book. So I'm going to list a few here. There are community nature walks, creating a kitchen garden, making organic lunches, creating a frog pond or a native fish pond, redesigning their outdoor spaces, conducting a water audit, promoting an environmental council and working towards green certification. In some Australian and Thai neighbourhoods, you can find children leading adults on a walk while talking and answering questions posed by adults or other children. Imagine a child talking about how they built a bird feeder in the area with their friends because they wanted to attract more birds. That's the idea of a community nature walks. Creating a kitchen garden. Of course, this is fairly common now to find in many learning centres growing flowers and vegetables. But if you're short of space, like many Singaporean centres, you can still put some herbs in a windowsill or have pots of potatoes and tomatoes in the hallways. And then you can make organic lunches straight out of your garden. In Norway, some preschools use only non-electrical kitchen appliances to add to the homegrown, pro-environmental nature of the activity. But I think the point is to look at where you are now and think about what next step can be taken to help kids make a connection between their daily life and long-term sustainability. And actually, we're hoping that the kids themselves will come up with ideas rather than it all coming from adults. If it fits your local environment and doesn't cause safety concerns, go ahead and make a frog pond or a native fish pond. There are always better ways to use space to achieve learning outcomes. Over time, brainstorm with your children as to what changes could be made, whether they're big changes or very small changes, to make play areas more natural, more diverse and more inspiring. Have you ever conducted a water audit with your kids? Have the children work out how much water your early childhood centre is using by measuring how much they use to wash their hands and flush the toilet. Where is the rainwater going? Are there any taps dripping? What could be done to use less or to use it more effectively? 
You could also do similar audits for electricity, for paper usage, for garbage disposal, for crayons and markers, etc. Make the children aware of what we're using in our early childhood centres and how we can be um, more mindful about that. Promote an environmental council made up of democratically elected early learners so that they can discuss projects and rules for sustainability within their own preschool. An example of a rule was noted by one researcher who quoted, no one is allowed to throw their banana peel in the garbage. Working towards green certification, such as the green flag certification for early learning centres in Europe, being an enviro school in New Zealand, an eco school in England or a green ribbon school in the US. I can't help but notice the focus, the Western focus of this list. So if you know of initiatives in Asia, Africa or South America, please leave a link in the comments on my blog. The trick is to find programs that also include children under the age of six. For all those ideas just mentioned, if you go to the blog post, you can click on plenty of links to take you further into each one of those and to also find other ideas that you could try out in your own early childhood centre. There are lots of great ways we can get kids involved in learning about the environment, but research shows that there are actually some issues that need to be overcome that we need to be aware of, and one of those is teachers that are an impediment to having kids learn and grow in this area. A number of studies emphasised the idea that many early childhood teachers believe that as long as children are just playing in their natural environment, that their job is done. They didn't want to teach explicit environmental concepts because they didn't want it to be structured like school and they had an aversion to teaching science. The Japanese study in particular raised this question because nature-based play has been a required part of their early childhood programs for over a 100 years, but it hasn't led to environmentally aware citizens. So play alone, without reflection or making connections, is not enough to lead to a sustainably aware community. Now, most teachers profess interest in sustainable living, but research shows that effective programs require at least one highly committed and enthusiastic teacher or leader if it's to continue. For example, even though recycling and composting is common practice in Norwegian early learning centres, 30% of staff require an environmental program to be compulsory before they'll promote sustainable practices over the long term. This shows that firstly, teacher in-service and training needs to be given, that there needs to be a long-term plan, that a school-wide accepted philosophy of learning needs to be articulated, that incorporates sustainability principles into the fabric of the school. It shows that schools need wildly enthusiastic kids who are excited about their learning and making contributions to sustainability because that's the best way to keep teachers happy and committed. Preschools who are consistent in their efforts towards sustainability attract like-minded staff so that over time it becomes much easier to maintain the program. 
Some studies noted that there were marked differences in the community participation according to the approach taken by the schools. If parents are included in the planning phases, they tended to be much more involved and committed to a project. So schools following philosophies such as Reggio Emilia were more open to following student ideas and seeing the possibilities rather than being overwhelmed by the reasons why something could not work. Researchers showed that as well as having teacher issues that cause complications, there are also societal issues to be overcome. There were some common themes present in a number of the papers. While life is much easier with a high living standard, it's a reality that the world cannot sustain a high living standard for everyone. It stands to reason that if we want the world's poor to have a better life, we need to rethink consumerism and come up with creative, workable solutions. In general, it's human nature to embrace our right to live life as we please. The problem is the earth is a finite resource, therefore it's going to take the collective will of the population to see significant improvement in the environment. This willingness to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem is an excellent attitude for early learners to develop. Young children are empowered and emboldened when their voices are taken seriously and they're more likely to continue this habit, believing they can make a difference into adulthood. While all cultures examined in these papers were pro-environment and most had national environmental policies, this emphasis did not always trickle down to their youngest learners. For some, the issues are related to adults not believing children could genuinely participate in sustainability programs. Therefore, their environmental education efforts and the funding that goes with them is aimed at older children. In Singapore, one of the biggest difficulties is parental academic expectations. They want their children well prepared for a rigorous school system rather than playing outside and learning in a seemingly unstructured environment. For sustainable education to be championed in early childhood, educators need to be fully convinced of its importance and be able to share that conviction with parents and the wider community in a way that is culturally sensitive. In Singapore, they emphasise the benefits to the body and mind as well as to increasing cognitive skills. Perhaps your cultural challenge is parents wanting their kids wrapped safely in cotton wool or not wanting their children to touch dirt or bugs or worms, or parents who feel that recycling and sustainability concerns are beneath them. Whatever the issue, it's good to have a well-thought-out plan of attack, or perhaps I should say a nicely formatted parent information brochure, to start that education process and build support from home. I truly believe that most parents will support sustainability initiatives, especially when it's presented in a positive and doable way that's not too overwhelming. I want to finish off with an inspirational case study that was highlighted in this book, and it's from the Mipyung Child Care Centre in Korea. This learning period happened over five weeks and was conducted by one teacher, a teacher's aide, and they had 23 five-year-olds. The teacher decided to focus on the nearby Musim stream. The children and the teacher together created a topic web 
of activities and learning ideas that might be possible and in the process aligned them with their national curriculum. Then the teacher accumulated relevant resources, including pictures of local plants and animals that she took herself and asked parents to take their children to the stream to observe the plants and animals. They discussed their knowledge of the area and when she realised that they had many misperceptions, for example, one child thought that whales lived in the stream, they went on a field trip to observe the animals and to play amongst the grasses and the flowers. Then they enjoyed a number of activities, but one comment in particular drew their focus. One child told the class that his mother said there used to be a lot of otters in the stream, but now there were hardly any. They then learned all about otters and a visiting expert told them that the otters were disappearing because of poaching and because of a polluted food supply. They went to the river with the expert to find proof of otters and found footprints and excrement, which is super exciting. (laughs) They wrote a song, they drew pictures, they made clay models of otters, they wrote notes to otters, they made a book of their knowledge and went to the zoo to observe them. They wrote to their local council asking that otters be added to the official local habitat map. Council replied that they needed to supply proof that there were otters in the stream, which they did. The council said they would add them when the budget allowed. The children then created their own habitat map for young children, where they illustrated the plants and animals they'd observed and presented it to the younger children at the centre. The culminating event was to gather at a nearby park, which was a popular meeting place for the local community. They carried signs that said protect the otters and gave a performance by singing songs they'd written and answering questions from the audience. Afterwards, they distributed information, badges with hand-drawn otter pictures, a list of 10 ways to protect otters and chanted save the otters, save the otters. This event was picked up by local media and was a catalyst for community interest in otter protection. In the long term, parents noticed that their children maintained their interest in otters and in making changes at home, such as using less shampoo. Also, friends and relatives of the children maintained pressure on the council regarding the habitat map. I really love this case study and the wonderful way those teachers were able to incorporate so many different ways of learning into one big project and how it grasped the imagination of the kids and it was something relevant and important to them. Margaret Mead said, a small group of people can change the world. Let's take it further and say, a small group of small people can change the world. If you're looking for teaching materials on this theme, please visit this wonderful New Zealand teacher's site called Green Grubs Garden Club. She creates beautifully designed materials for outdoor learning for young children. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and submit a rating and review. Remember, if you want the show notes, if you want links to a lot of these ideas and for more ideas about encouraging sustainability with young children, please go to my website, lizesearlylearningspot.com, click on the podcast tab and look for episode nine. 
You'll also find more details about the research book that this was taken from and you'll be able to download free Save the World type bookmarks. Thank you for joining me to learn a little more about early childhood research and I wish you happy teaching and learning. Thanks for listening to the Early Childhood Research Podcast at www.lizsearlylearningspot.com.